Hey, if you're leading a business, by now you know the people that you work with have different talents than you. Sometimes that can be frustrating, but it's actually a good thing because we all have different strengths and different weaknesses. We have different personality styles. I mean, you guys know this. It takes a village. But what we do to try to figure out the space and understand our people better, if you're like me, you start taking these assessments, DISC, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, all good things. But here's what a lot of those things don't tell us. Can this person actually do their job? From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy, and my guest today is Pat Lanchoni. Pat's the founder and president of The Table Group, where he spends his time speaking and writing about leadership, teamwork, organizational health. But here's the thing, guys. He's not just another consultant. We have worked with him at Ramsey Solutions and Entree Leadership for years. We've given every one of his books to all of our team members, and we give them out at our Entree Leadership events because his stuff is so legit. When it comes to team, culture, values, you've got to be reading Pat Lanchoni. Now, this is exciting. He and his team have developed a model that helps leaders identify their team's areas of working genius, also their areas of life-draining weaknesses that if they're doing those activities too long, they're going to burn out and quit. You don't want that. So this is going to be a lot of fun. But before we get into the model, we have to first start with understanding the foundation of a great team. Well, it all starts with trust, which is humility-based and vulnerability-based. If people can't come to sit down with their team and say, I don't know the answer, I need help, I'm sorry I was a jerk yesterday, or I don't know what to do here, somebody else, or you, you're smarter than I am at this, I want to be like you. If people can't come to work and be emotionally buck naked, if you will, it, 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 then you're done. Mm. Because if people can't come and be raw, open, honest, they're not going to be able to engage in good conflict because they're not going to be telling the truth and they're going to feel like that's too risky. They're not going to commit to decisions because they never really weighed in. They're not going to hold each other accountable and say, hey, you're my friend, but you got to do better than that on this one, which is a great thing on a team. But if you can't be vulnerable, you're not going to do that. And then they're not going to actually do what's in the best interest of the team. They're going to look at themselves. So that's the basic way that teams function from trust to results. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, you really need to be a humble, hungry, smart person, which is I I, I don't think too much of myself. I, I think others are more important than I am. I mean, you know, I honor them. I work really hard, I'm hungry, and I'm interpersonally smart. I know how to deal with human beings. And if you can find humble, hungry, and smart people and put them in an environment where they build trust, have good conflict, hold each other accountable and do all those things, it's going to work. It's not complicated. I know I just uh -huh. went through that very quick and I talked about eight different things, but it's very simple. Are there blockers to trust aside from not having those people who are hungry, humble, smart? Well, I would say there's blockers if the leader doesn't have that. And it's countercultural, by the way. I should say that too. People don't grow up thinking about being vulnerable. They they te teach you to grow up and you know reveal just the parts of yourself that you think people will like. Hmm. And this is this is a problem. So that's why human beings have a hard time being vulnerable is because we think we're supposed to come into the world and protect ourselves. But that's not what makes a team great. So I think that if you have people that are humble, hungry, and smart, and the leader gets that and nurtures that, I I don't know that there's other blockers. I'm trying to think. What might that be? I mean, there's environmental factors. Maybe you work in a company that doesn't mm -hmm. like that, doesn't reward that. But if, if the person at the top thinks it's important mm -hmm. and creates an environment from the top, and I will tell you, Daniel, that, you know, one of the reasons I work with CEOs and their teams is because it needs to be modeled from the very top. 
And it's not that they're more fun to party with, like, oh, or I want to be important. <laughs> I just think if you can get the people at the very top of the organization to do that, you have a fighting chance in the rest of it. And when I go into an organization and I start at the, at the bottom someplace, they're constantly looking up and going, do you think they're ever going to get this? Mm-hmm. So it just makes more sense to come, which is why I love talking to entrepreneurs, because it's like, you can, turn your, you can turn your company into a trustworthy, yes. good team quickly if you make that so with you and your leaders. Well, it sounds like what you're saying in some ways is similar to our friend John Maxwell. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. Absolutely. And if you're not working with the leader, you're not working with the highest leveraged point of culture. Yeah. That's their job. Yes. And uh, when they don't realize that, when they think their job is just uh, figuring out the technical parts of the of the operations, then it's really difficult. So yeah, John and I would be in complete alignment around that. And that's why the leader is so important. But that leader can't believe that they're inherently more important than the people they lead. Their actions and behaviors are just more important. Yeah, I, I think the difference is that they're more important, but not more significant. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the challenge of humility. I wrote an article years ago called The Trouble with Humility, and that is that as a leader, I have to believe I am just like anybody else here. I'm just a child of God. I'm a person that's, I'm no, I'm, I don't have more significance, as you say. And so I have to believe that. But my words and actions are going to have a disproportionate impact on everything else around here. The problem is when people realize that their words and actions are disproportionately important, sometimes they start to personalize that and say, man, I'm pretty important here. Similarly, people that say, hey, I'm not that important. Sometimes they forget that people are watching them. Hmm. I've had a leader early on, you know, Daniel, when I started this business and I wrote my first book, there was this leader. His name was Mark Hoffman, and he ran a company called Sybase. And Mark just didn't think he was that important. And, and people were drawn to him because of that. Like he'd walk down the hallways and treat people like – and here he was the CEO. This company was growing as a billion dollars, and, and he just didn't seem to think he, he mattered. The problem was – there were times when I needed him to step up because I worked for him and, and, and actually be a leader. And he was like, oh, what do people care what I think? Huh. Like, oh, but they do. And so the trouble with humility is when a humble person discounts the impact they have on others rather than discounts their significance but then understands their, their behavior. And I hope that makes sense. It does. I, I've, I've struggled with this in, in my leadership journey because I have a pretty charismatic – grab the bull by the horns, jump in there, make it happen. Hope you can keep up kind of leadership style. <laughs> and there's times I've realized I, that's not that healthy. I've got to slow down. And, there, and there's even times I almost artificially go to not saying or doing anything because I'm so concerned that my dominant personality is going to flood out everybody. But then that doesn't feel authentic. And like there's this tension of Absolutely. depending on how you're wired, how do we find that sweet well, spot? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why we look at this stuff about working genius. Because now that I know what your working geniuses are, I look at this and I think, no, you're actually gifted in a few areas that you need to lean into. But there are certain times when they're not necessary or appropriate. And so rather, you should not feel guilty about the gifts and the geniuses mm. you have but you should be humble enough to recognize there's times when other geniuses are being yes. called for. I love that. So working genius is a model that you've been developing. Hey, I hope a, that didn't sound like I was trying to make a segue. No, I want, now us, I get it. I want us to dive into this because I think it's brilliant. So the, the idea is we all have unique strengths and u- unique ways of working, yep. unique ways of finding energy. Talk us through, there's just these six types of genius. Right. Um, so there's six different geniuses, different skills that are necessary to get any work done. 
So it, it, these six things are if you're doing a project, launching a, a program, running a family, a school, a church, whatever else it is, if the team that's responsible for that doesn't have all six of these geniuses, there, there's a gap there that needs to be filled. And those six things are the genius of wonder, which is pondering the bigger picture, like what's going on here and why is this like this? The genius of invention, I'm going to solve that problem you're wondering about. The genius of discernment, which is I have a good way of evaluating things and knowing if they're going to work or not. The genius of galvanizing, which is I'm going to get people excited and moving and, 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 and inspired. The genius of enablement, which is I'm going to get in there and make this work and I'm going to be the supporter and the helper and, the, and I'm going to be available to people. And then the genius of tenacity, which is I'm going to push it across the finish line. Hmm. So those are the six things and they're all geniuses. Some people will say, well, invention is the real genius. Nope. Without wonder, without discernment, without all the others, you don't have genius. It all comes together. The issue here is only two of these come naturally to any given person. You and I both have two that are that give us joy and energy and where we're naturally gifted. It's a God-given talent. Now, the problem is we'll want to use that talent all the time because that's where we're drawn to. So when some, my wife asked me to clean the garage, I'm going to use my geniuses, even though they might not correspond to what she needs. <laughs> we also have two that are, we're uniquely poor at. Okay. You know, God gives us gifts and he also gives us deficiencies. And so there's things that we're not good at. Well, if we don't know what we're naturally gifted at, and we don't know what we're naturally poor at, how in the world are we going to maximize the, the, the goodness we bring mm-hmm. to our teams and avoid the things that will probably drag us and our teams down? Mm. And that's what this assessment is about, which came about by accident. You know, I was, I've been frustrated in my work in, in mild ways for 20 years because there was parts of it that I didn't like and I didn't know why. And my team would be like, Pat, you, you love what you do. But why do you get so grumpy? And I was like, I don't know. And so one day at work, we just sat down and figured this out. And, and we were like, oh my gosh, I think this is universal. We, the 12 hours after coming up with this, Daniel, we wrote it on the whiteboard. One of our consultants saw it, shared with one of his clients, and the client started to cry and said, this is mm. the problem I have. This is why I'm so – he was emotionally moved. He said, I am struggling with this, and now I understand why. So – out of that, we decided, I think there's something here. And then now we have this assessment and it's out there and people are using it and it's crazy. So fun. And people look at it and say, I finally figured out uh, why I'm good at certain things and why I'm not and how I need to adjust my career or my job or my family. I want to talk more about the assessment in a second. First, I want to stay at this kind of this philosophical level. There seems to be an unspoken, maybe even an unconscious expectation that's probably a myth, and that is that, well, all these things matter in everybody. I think leaders often think, I want all my people to care about all those things, almost like they're virtues that we should all be aspiring to do all of this. Why is that not the case? Because none, you know, I think it's because we need each other. You know, we didn't get put on this earth to live separate. I mean, you know, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and if you think about God makes us need each other. Mm. And if we, if any one person had everything, we wouldn't need each other. And, and I think this is what makes teams great. And people talk a lot about diversity. Well, diversity is primarily in diversity in your gifts. And so you have a team and you, and if you can say, oh, I'm so glad she's great at those things and really celebrate her for that. And I'm so glad that he's great at those and celebrate him for that. It allows you to appreciate one another allow people to do what they're meant to do 
and it's what makes an orchestra great. But too often, and you know, Daniel, I'll tell you, I think the two biggest impacts of this tool are people feel guilty for the things they don't have. Like, oh, I'm lacking that. I'm, I'm just bad. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't work hard enough. I don't care enough. It's, it's a false thing. Secondly, they judge other people. They're like, well, you don't have that. We don't call it a genius or a gift. You're just not good at doing that. You must not care mm. or you must not work hard enough. And so when you do this, it's allowed me to feel less guilty about the things I'm not great at. doesn't mean I still don't have to do them sometimes. It also has prevented me from yeah. judging others. Oh, I've done that so many times. Oh my gosh, we totally do. It's the, it's the fundamental attribution here. Well, you're not doing that well because you don't care. No, that's not their gift. Yeah. So now I can say to somebody at work, oh, that's okay. That's not your gift. Let's get somebody in there. Or, hey, that's not your gift, but I need you to push through this just this time. Okay. I like this. And I want to challenge how do you discern when the, the case is that they don't care? It's, and they're using it as a cop-out. Oh, that's not my gift. And you're like, no, your heart's not in this thing. I, I imagine we go back to Hungry Humble Smart. Um, exactly, exactly. Because we all have gifts, but then we have to decide what are we going to do with them. And if a person has great gifts and they work really hard using those gifts, that, then they have passion. They just might have some big blind spots in other areas. Well, I can deal with that. Hmm. But if they're not even working hard in the areas of their giftedness, that's a hunger problem. Okay. So we've got wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. And you notice it spells widget. Now, I have to tell you this. We got to the fourth one, and we were like, okay, this says widget. And you wouldn't have found two that started with an E and a T just to have a widget? No, it was actually even (laughs) better than that. The the E, we couldn't think of a word for. And we came up with the E, and we're like, okay, we're at widget. And we thought, all right. What's the last one? And, and the tenacity really is a good word for it. There might have been a couple others, but we thought I oh, might as well spell widgets because people can like actually it. remember it that way. Okay, so here's uh, – Let's look at you. You sent me this thing a couple months ago, I think in the beta mode. Oh, no. You were one of the first people to take it. And I filled out – We were out, testing it. I answered a lot of questions. I don't remember – 40? Much about the questions. 40 questions. 42, actually. And I'm actually just seeing my results for the first time right here as we're recording this. So talk me through – What's wrong with me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've brought your wife in to help us with that. All right. But so your geniuses are invention. You love to come up with new ideas. A whiteboard and a blank slate is a good thing for you. Yes. And and that is a natural gift. And you know what? I literally, you're saying whiteboard. We say that metaphorically. I love whiteboards. Yeah. Actual flip charts and markers and whiteboards and doodling and notepads and non-digital aspects of creation of just like getting the stuff on the wall, like sticking. I love that. So do I. In okay. fact, uh, my whole office, we just painted all our walls with whiteboard pretty much. That's the best use of a wall pad. Isn't it? Yeah. We don't even have windows. Love we just it. go in there. <laughs> so you're good. You're good at, it's like you thrive in that early part of the creative process. Yeah. Is you get a- energy and joy out of creating new ideas out of nothing. Original novel solutions to problems. It might be a product. It might be a solution. It might be just coming up with a new way of looking at things, but Having an unstructured need to solve a problem is actually a, a stimulant for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many people will say, oh, my gosh, that crushes me? They're like, I don't know what to do when that happens. Please don't put me in. And, and here's you and I. We both – this is one of mine too. We're like, that's the greatest job in the uh, world. And other people are like, no, that would be my misery. You know, I found this invention thing. This is what we're talking about, invention. Mm-hmm. And as you're describing it, I'm going, I definitely have that. I've struggled – 
when people ask me how you do the thing. So one of my favorite things is leading strategic sessions in a room with a bunch of people with large personalities like Dave Ramsey, and we've got a lot of conflict, and I'm the guy with the marker on the whiteboard. And I walk in with a very loose plan in my mind, very loose. In fact, it needs to be loose. And when we start talking, things come in my mind to start drawing on the board, frameworks and models and things that help us communicate better, and it just flows out of me. And people have said, hey, can you teach us how you do that thing? And I'm like, I don't know how I do it. It's, it's, an, it's a natural, it's a gift. It was given to you. And so it's not a, oh, well, I read this book. Right, right. That's called expertise and knowledge. Mm. This is one of those things you were probably doing as a kid. Totally. And I was. Yes. And you know what's funny? That's not one that was really nurtured in me. So I was, I, it was a frustrated eye. My invention. Nobody was saying, hey, Pat, you're an invention. I, my parents were both very, very, you know, by the book and structured. And so I wasn't really given many opportunities to do this. And our education system doesn't do that at all. Right. I and, struggled so much in school. Yeah, because your teacher didn't go, hey, why don't you come up with an idea? Here's, here's what I'm going to teach. Now just come up with something out of nothing. Because anything that was super structured or the lecture is going on and oh. on and I'm doodling on my paper – I would get in trouble for doodling, but it was actually my coping mechanism to stay engaged. Yeah. Like I'm actually a little bit more engaged in the auditory lecture format if I can write and draw and sketch out pictures of what I'm hearing. You know, the two that lend themselves to being good in school are your least. And mine too. <laughs> this explains a and lot. And mine too. We share the same <laughs> lower ones. Now your other, your other gift though, your other genius is you have the genius of galvanizing. What does that mean? That is the person who loves to get people moving, like to get you, hey, let's get in a room and talk about this. Mm -hmm. I want to get you guys excited. I want to recruit you. I want to do the initial part of organizing, just like let's all start moving. Yes. And, and it's like, so you like to come up with new ideas and get people excited about them. I do. And I love when I see a problem and I realize we can do something about it, I've found that I'm really good at helping people understand why it matters right. to change course. Yep, that's galvanizing. And getting recruiting people and promoting the idea and the direction of where we need to go, the problem we need to solve, or the opportunity to take on. I love that. And I come from a sales background, and I was always really good at sales, but only when I believed in the product. Right. I've been in sales jobs for about two weeks where it's a oh. crappy product. I'm like, I can't hang. I have to believe this is going to be better for the people buying. And today I sell ideas and vision and direction, and I love it. Oh, my gosh. See, because you are now in a job that allows you to work in your geniuses. Yes. Now, if I said to you, Daniel, what I want you to do, we'll go to your two weakest areas. Okay. By the way, the way to understand these is like the, your two geniuses are like this cup right here, a cup of coffee. And if you were to pour coffee into it that's hot and put a lid on it, it's going to hold that energy, that heat for a long time. Mm. That's your genius area. Okay. It's like, I could do that forever. Your weaknesses are like a cup you pour into and there's a hole in the bottom of it and it just leaks out the bottom. It holds no energy or joy for you. And your two areas of weakness are the genius of tenacity, which is finishing things mm -hmm. and doing the last details to make sure it gets completed and, and the impact is, is had at the end. And enablement, which is coming alongside of somebody else's idea and providing whatever support they need. Yes. That doesn't mean you're not a nice guy. It just means right. you like to determine the new idea and get people moving, and then you kind of like to step back. You know, it, it really rings true with me. And I, and I struggle sometimes, even with my colleagues, about my lack of – they might even be said sometimes as lack of follow-through. I was going to say, that's mine. And I'm like, oh, that hurts because it sounds like I'm not – hard work ethic or hungry or doing, you know, but I, I've had feedback 
that kind of sounds like, hey, you're really good at getting everybody excited, but then you don't do the real work. Right. And this is where we have to get rid of our guilt and our judgment because this is real work. Yeah. But people think yeah. this is real work. When I was a kid, God rest his soul, my dad, a good man, a wonderful man, he would take me out to mow the lawn every weekend. And I hated it. I loved my dad, but I hated doing it. You know why? Because he would say, just follow me around and do whatever I tell you, and then make sure you finish it and you do it perfectly. And if he had said, hey, see the yard? You go figure it out. Uh, I'd have been like inventing like, oh, you know what? I think there's a new way to do it. But no, I had to do it on his terms and according to his specifications. And I wasn't lazy, but I felt like I was like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I just follow him around and rake up the leaves? And it was like, because that goes against my grain. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that in my life as a child and in my life now, there's not times I have to do that. We do. Of course. But we need to go, I'm doing this. It's against the grain. It's not my job. I'm doing this today or this week because it's required. And I can I can gut through this. Yeah, be a freaking adult. I mean, you've got right. to do some things out of duty. That's leadership. But if Is you there have a, a certain... job that makes you right, do that every day, right. you are going to go to work and get very depressed. So do you have a loose like percentage of your time that should be the max on your weaknesses and then the max, like what's the ideal? Because you can't be 100% in your genius all the time. No, I mean, so I'll guess right now. This is such a new thing, but I would say you ought to be spending 70% of time in your genius. Okay. You know, more than 50. But, and, and, but, but by the way, there's the two in between. So if you have two geniuses and two frustrations, the two in between are I call working competencies. You can do those. And you can even do them fairly well, but over time, you're going to get burned out. And so the, these two are not so bad. So basically, if you're spending more than 15% of your time and you're working frustrations, you're probably pretty frustrated. Um, so it really depends on is it the first two, is it the second two, or the third two. But if you're not spending any time and you're working genius, if you, it, it, I, so I should probably say 80% of your time should probably be spent in your top four. Mm. So my working competencies, these are my middle two. Wonder and discernment. Discernment. And which makes sense because you do have to evaluate whether – now, when you're inventing something, though, our discernment tends to go away. We need other people to discern our ideas. So if you go, oh, I just came up with this new idea, you need to go to somebody with discernment and go, what do you think? Is discernment like should we actually do this or not yeah. or is it how practical it is? It's what that it? gut feel like – I think this is a good idea, or I think this sounds bad, or, uh, oh, I think there's a few things missing. Cody on my team has great discernment. When, when I first burped out this idea of the working geniuses, he's the guy I go to and say, there's people I know that I would show it to, and they go, oh, yeah, I don't know. And I go, yeah, but they, they don't even think that way. But Cody was the guy I could go show it to, know that his reaction, and he looked at it, and it was like, oh, wow, this is bigger than the five dysfunctions. Mm. Like, really? He goes, Oh yeah, the applications of this are far bigger. And I'm I, his gut. I need gotcha because I know that he has good instincts, good intuition, sees patterns, and so every inventor needs a good discerner. You know, it's funny you say that. I struggle with judging the value and the um, the utility of. I have a thousand ideas a day, right? But I get so overwhelmed with all the ideas that I create in my genius about trying to figure out which one should we actually go do? Which one's a good one? <laughs> we were working with one of the, Cody was working with one of our, the people who helped develop this, with one of the leading innovation companies in America. Everybody knows that they have products, everybody uses them. And he met with one of their senior innovators and went through this. And, and their team, because this is the team tool, their team was great at, at wonder and invention, but there was no D or G. So they would invent something, throw it over the wall to the 
enablement and tenacity people and half their, their ideas wouldn't stick because nobody was discerning it. Hmm. They would just go, yes, let's invent it. No, let's not. Nobody was actually looking at it and talking about it and working with the inventors. So they were like, how come 50% of our new products don't, they fail. Hmm. And they realized we're doing no discernment or galvanizing. We go from invention to work. Yeah. It sounds like the discernment person has the ability to see the playing field and, and kind of sense the idea and then sense it active in the real world out in the wild and go, that, that animal's going to die in the wild or no, it's going to go eat all the other animals. And they, they, and if you ask them how they do it, just like the invention, they're going to go, I don't know, but they were good at this as a kid. Huh. You know, they're the ones that can look at a movie and go, oh yeah, this was a fantastic movie. And, and I see this and, and you're like, what do you mean? And you're like, I don't know. I can just tell. They're, they're curators. Are they kind of prophetic? Are they good at forecasting and yep. seeing the future and what's yep. going to be a dog and what's going to run? Dave is really good at that. Huh. Dave's greatest talent is his discernment. He can look at something and go, yeah, that's, that's a great idea right there. And then his next one is tenacity, though. So he goes, I was just had lunch with Dave. And he goes, and then I go to, okay, we're going to do this. Yes, he does. He goes, Sometimes I leave people in the dark because <laughs> uh-huh. he discerns very quickly and sees like that's a great idea. And then he dives right to, so let's get it done. Well, and you know, I've observed this, I work with Dave for 17 years, and we're very close and can finish each other's sentences at this point. And I've seen him have a really high batting average yeah. on his ideas. That's discernment. And it gives him a confidence that I don't have to explain all the details. If he has that intuition, we should go here. Most of the time, he's right. Yeah. That's what discernment is. Okay. How come? And it's not, it's not expertise. Right. Because it's even in new areas. He has a really good gut. Exactly. And it's, it's right a lot of the time. But the breakdown that we've experienced with this as our CEO, as the team gets bigger, and some of these people who need more information about how we're all going to get there together, especially if we have responsibilities to go execute what's in his gut, and it's not super clear, it's just a feeling he has. If he was by himself, he'd be right, he'd go off, he'd do it, and it would win. But as a leader, we've got to, and I have a little bit of this too, like we can leave the team behind. We can run off and do it without them. So part of this, I think, is we're getting our team to all work through it together or understand it Absolutely. at a level they can execute on. Right. And you need to know what your team members, what their geniuses are too. Because there are literally people you go, hey, we're in the discernment phase of this. And this is hard, but your D isn't so high. I have people that work with me that go, I don't have any D. So let me just let me know as soon as you guys discern that this is the right idea. I'll weigh in if you want, but you guys know that I'm not good. I need data, linear, all this other stuff. So when you guys decide it's the right thing, I'll jump back in. I'll sit at the meeting, but don't. And there's people I've worked with. It's like, I really don't think this is the right time for you to be weighing in. Just like me, when we get later in the process and I've used my I and my D, my invention and my discernment, that's like, Pat, we're in tenacity. So if you want to come and help, that's great, but don't be bringing any of your new ideas. <laughs> this is not a time for new ideas. But think about Dave back in the in his in his house with Sharon and the and the the card table. He had D. He saw the right answer and he went out he and went executed. Did it. Yes, it makes sense that a guy like that. But he had to have the big picture. Like I knew this was the right thing, and I'm going to get it done. So how do we set up our teams when uh, leaders are often tasked with vision and figure out where we're going? And not all vision, not all leaders are vision. That's true, but we they're still responsible for a vision, right? Absolutely. So, 
if vision is our thing, we got to figure out how we set up our team to follow us and, and be bought in, have the data, whatever the, the case may be. Or if vision's not our thing, we have to have a vision. Uh, how do we fill the gap, the deficit, and make sure that we're cohesive with the team that's going to get there together? So I have a small company, right? So I can relate to all the entrepreneurs out there. I mean, many of you guys have bigger companies than mine. We have a small, we're a think tank and a consulting firm, and we partner with a lot of people like yourself. But so we sat down and we did this. And right away, the, the answers became obvious. So I was doing all the geeing and all the galvanizing in my company, and it wasn't one of my geniuses, and it was exhausting me. And I finally said, that's why I'm grumpy, you guys, because I have to galvanize everything. Amy, Tracy, Karen, three of my co-founders and early people, none of them liked me. That was their working frustrations. Hmm. So they go, well, Pat, you're, at least you're good at it. So you're going to have to galvanize everything. And it was driving me crazy. So what I did is I said, okay, Cody, you have G. We have a 22-year-old kid on our team. He has G. We said, Liam, you're going to start Gene. And he's like, what do you mean? I don't even know what I'm doing here. And we're like, doesn't matter. We can teach you that. But you have the gift of galvanizing. And, he, and he's like, but the rest of you guys are like 25 years older than me. I'm going to galvanize you. And the people that were 25 years older said, yes, huh. please. We want you to rally us and kick our butt because we will lose our way. And we will come alongside and do what you ask us to do because you are good at that. And he's like, I get to do one of my geniuses, even though I've been in this job for two months. Hmm. most places would say, well, and when you've been here 10 years, we'll let you do that. No, it shouldn't be about seniority. It should be about your, your genius, your gift. Gotcha. And so your job as the leader, Daniel, is to figure out what the gifts are of the people mm -hmm. around you. You've probably got a W on your team who loves to sit and you're going to go, I need to hear what you have to say. Mm -hmm. And then you've got E's and T's on your team that you need to just, when they say, yeah, you don't follow through and you darn right. I don't. And I'm so glad you do. And I'm going to champion you for doing that. But I am not great at it. Now, in a pinch, you let me know and I'll set myself on fire for you. But I am not good at this. And if you rely on me to finish tasks and to provide what other people need like that, yes, that's not my genius. Here's a math refresher. There are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time-consuming tasks to focus on the activities that make money. Smart businesses are realizing that to reduce headaches as they scale, they need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs because it's cloud-based. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one source of truth. It's a big deal. And you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. And right now you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own KPI checklist. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, -day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. 
clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit Trainual.com slash Entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code Entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash Entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. Hey, you guys know there's so many details that matter if you're going to run a successful business, but all those details and doing them all comes at a heavy cost of your time. And often as leaders, we just say, hey, we'll do it all. We have a superhero mentality and we pull out our cape and we say, I'll just take it all on. And then we hit the wall and we go, I can't do all this. There's so much. And hey, you know what? No one can. No one can. You have to stop trying to do it all. And the new year is a perfect time to set yourself up for success with the help of a world-class virtual assistant. Our friends at Belay can connect you with an experienced assistant. They're going to help you take things off your plate, the details, the minutia, the calendar, all that stuff. And hey, let's be honest, they're better at it than you are anyway. And if you will let them do those things, then you can focus on the things that only you can do. Get your time back. Get an assistant. Partner with somebody that can help you out. That's how this works. And to help you start the new year off right, Belay's offering a great free resource, 25 things that you can delegate to a virtual assistant so you can kind of prime the pump a little bit and go, huh, how's this thing going to work? All you got to do is text Belay to 31996. That's B-E-L-A-Y to 31996 to get this great free resource today. You know, I have found people that are good at finishing tasks and they're responsible and they're hungry and humble and smart. I'm pretty good at being able to delegate things to them and they do their stuff and I can steer their energy. But even though I'm a galvanizer, I really struggle to hold people accountable week in and week out. Check in. What's the latest update on the project? Okay. How's it going? Okay. You know, I'm going to challenge that. I think you could do that. Like pushing on people consistently over time. Cause once I launched the idea, and I've, I've rallied people, I'm just expecting them to be adults and go get it done. And all of my headspace goes into the next idea. I, I forget to stay in touch with the team. These people are usually better at that because they understand the, the E details. and the T. Yeah, because I'm kind of like, do you guys need me to go in and do another uh, cheerleading session? They're like, no, we need you to go and look at our plan and say, hey, you got to do more here. You got to do more here. And you and I are like, because we have similar profiles. Yeah, I think my energy for that is pretty low. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. that's not an excuse. What you need to do is sit down and go, maybe I need to work that into the system and, and make myself do it. But just know this, you're not going to naturally do it. And you're not going to be awesome at it. Maybe there's a way to build that into your system. Let me give you an example from my home life. Okay. So my wife and I, are, her and I, we share what the lowest area is tenacity, the finishing of things, which is often detail and pushing through to the end. One day I came home from work. And the lights didn't work in my house. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, power goes out. Hey, did, I think the neighborhood, the power's out. And she said, no, no, it's not. Well, no, but these lights aren't working. She goes, yeah, it's, it's not the neighborhood. What's going on? And she says, yeah, we, we didn't pay the power bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, they usually send you a notice. Yeah, I, we kind of set that aside a few times. And I thought, and I look at this now and I go, 
that is predictable given our pr- – now, Dave That's would go, great. well, you you knucklehead. You got to do your bills every day. You know what I mean? But Laura and I, we don't, we don't pay attention to that. Now that's not an excuse. Like, well, kids, we don't have any power. We realize though, that is understandable. Now she and I both love invention Hmm. and wonder. So we can talk about big picture things and come up with new ideas all the time. But if I don't have somebody with me to help me follow through and get them done, ain't going to happen. I'm really fortunate that my strengths and my wife's strengths, I'd, I'd love for her to do the test, but I'm already seeing kind of how we are much more complementary instead of the the same deficits. And uh, she actually keeps me on track on the finish, the follow through and the tenacity kind of oh, stuff. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah. And you want to celebrate that. You know, it's like, I love that you're the way you are. Mm. We use it in our house now. My wife will say, I need your G. I need you to, to galvanize the kids around their homework because it's not working. I'm not good at it. I don't like to do it. I'm just nagging them. With the same thing. And I enjoy it because I'm like, all right, cool. What creative way can I come up with exactly. to trick them into loving eating their broccoli? Exactly. And she's like, how do you get them to do that? I'm like, I don't know. I made it fun. And she's like, Ugh, I don't have patience for that. You know? Right. And, and the thing is, she shouldn't feel guilty for that. Yes. She should go, I'm so glad my husband does that well. I don't. I really like that. Because we beat ourselves up, especially as parents. Oh, my gosh. We feel like we have to have all the skills and be super parents. Well, think about this. If there's two parents, there's four geniuses if you don't have any overlap. Hmm. That means two of them you don't have. That's true. So every family is going to look at this and go, oh, yeah, we never, we never do that. And it's, it, it's really helpful. You know, we price this dang thing at $25. And everybody said, you should price it more because it's really an enterprise thing and you could get companies to do it. We were like, no, we want a mom – and a dad to have their college kids take this. Yeah. We want a, a, a person that's starting their career or in a job they've been in for 20 years and they're not front. We want them to go out and be able to take this and read the report and really digest it and go, I know exactly what I need to do now. And by the way, um, if anybody takes this, there's a discount code for 50% off. And it is Entree. Yes. E-N-T-R-E. E-N-T- capital letters. R-E, capital letters. And they go where to get their... WorkingGenius.com. So guys, go to workinggenius.com, and um, for those of you just listening, Pat's pointing to, my results are printed out here in front of me, and it's a really compelling, simple-to-digest dashboard, essentially, that gives me a summary of my genius. And I'm, I'm literally seeing this for the first time, and in this conversation, I'm understanding it and processing it. But man, light bulbs are already going off with my team and my family, things I could lean into more. I'm thinking of projects that I'm responsible for at work right now that I need to raise my hand and go, hey, I shouldn't be doing this based on my genius, and I should be helping and them over there more because I have that exactly. genius and just a few minutes of working through this. And uh, I want I want business people to get this because this is a really great tool. And if you have a small business and everybody in your team takes this, you're going to look around and go, hey, let me do that for you. And people are going to go, thank you. I can do that for you. And productivity goes up. Job satisfaction goes up. Let me tell you, that makes everything work. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of this. It's good for the individual and it's good for the team. It's a win-win. But if you don't know what your geniuses are or your frustrations, you don't know how to do this. So tell me what you think about incorporating this into the hiring process. If you figure out what your team has and doesn't have, seems that you would want to backfill or, or staff up to some of these, these deficits. This is team. the first tool, Daniel, that I've actually thought could be used for hiring. Like the Myers-Briggs, it's like, well, you're an ENFP. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of things. That's more of a personality and Mm -hmm. underline. This is actually the kind of work you like to do. So it would be a favor for somebody to say, listen, we're hiring somebody to do be an office manager. 
What you need to do is respond to the needs of people and to make sure things actually get finished. That's largely enablement and tenacity. If those are your working frustrations, then we're going to make your life miserable and you're going to make our life miserable. I think staffing organizations should be going like, hey, this is a job. We've asked the people about it. It's really a, a DG job. Let's go find some DGs because it's going to be a great fit for them. It's going to be – so it's not about – you would never want to interview and convince somebody you were something you weren't uh-huh. because then you're just going to put yourself in a position to fail and to be unhappy. So this is the first, I think, objective tool that I've seen that you could actually say this is the job for you. I think that's really key what you're saying. Uh, getting people to align with the role and who they are. You know, it's so key. And it seems so obvious. Yeah. Jim Collins talks about you got to get the right people on the bus. That's, right on the, bus. that's the core values. That's but the humble, hungry, smart. And you've experienced this, and many business owners have. Sometimes somebody's so good at interviewing that they will chameleon and become something they're not because they really need a job, Pat. And they're yes. like, I'll, I'll be that. Sure. Let me, let me find a story in my childhood that can convince you that I am that. And then three months in, they're miserable. And you're like, why are you so miserable? You said you were going to love this. And you find out they weren't really being true to who they were. How do, how do we in the interview process mine for who is this person really? Obviously, use this assessment. I think that's a great tool. But in the conversations, how do we sell that person, the candidate, on you should say no to this unless this is really who you are? Right. Well, first of all, you look for the, the, the behavior. Of, like Humble, hungry, smart is something that Dave uses, and we, we wrote about that. And I think that's a great tool. But then you go, okay, are you a fit for the culture? Are you – are you ego-driven, lazy, and bad with people? You're not a fit. So if, they, if they're humble, hungry, smart, they're a good fit. But now you figure, like, should you be in this role? Okay. And that's what it comes in. And that's when you want to have – it's like you want to be like a brutally honest dating person. Like nobody should date somebody they're not meant for. So talking a young lady, because we're guys, into going out with us – now we're married, so we don't do that anymore. Talking a young lady into mar- – into going out with you that is not a good fit for you and pretending you're pretending you're somebody you're not to make her think you are that's just a great way to have a bad relationship okay but so you don't want to hire somebody so what you want to say to somebody is let me tell you about this job the way we see it is you're going to have to do a lot of invention and a lot of discernment so if you like that kind of stuff you're going to do really well and you're going to be really happy but if you don't like that you're probably going to struggle. We're going to have to let you go eventually, and that's going to look bad on your resume, and you're not going to be happy. So let's figure out if you love invention and discernment. And, and you can go to the, the people that are struggling in your organization. People will say, like, they're a cultural fit, but they're struggling. It's like, well, find out what their gifts are and, and help them use them. So, so I think this is a great tool for figuring out what seat on the bus a person should be. And Jim Collins said, get the right people on the bus. But what seat should they be on? This is the tool for finding what seat they should be on. That makes sense. If you have a small leadership team, are there geniuses that skew more towards leadership or do you want all these geniuses across your entire leadership team? That's a great question. I actually think you can be a leader. It depends on the organization. Whatever your role is, as long as you're playing that role and you are a good facilitator of other people's talents. And there are all kinds of leaders. Some people started a business because they were good at two and, and they don't have the other four and they can still be the leader. Now, I do think this, so I will say this. There is one skill on here that I think it really helps in leadership and that's discernment. 
because you kind of look around, you can kind of tell like, oh, I think I've seen this pattern before. I have good judgment and I know when I'm being snowed by a, a vendor, I kind of can tell what customers mm-hmm. might need. I know what my employees might need. So I think D is a pretty good one to have. If it's low, low, low on this and it's your working frustration, that might be a challenge. But other than that, I think it's a matter of just, I, I worked with a team recently and nobody on the team had wonder or invention mm-hmm. the first two. And this was a high-tech company. Wow. They're supposed to be coming up with yeah. new products. And not only did they not have wonder or invention, but m- most of their working frustration were in those areas. And they said, oh, my gosh, this is why we're not coming up with new products. This is why we're not seeing what our customers need because we're not pondering yeah. what's going on around us. And we're not thinking – we're all about execution. And we rally people around things that we haven't even come up with a new idea in years. And so they said, we have to start forcing ourselves to do more of this and bringing some people in that can help us. Mm, man, I like that. You know, I'm thinking about my journey. You know, I, I kind of started Entree Leadership. I was a sales guy. Yeah, 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 I remember. And then there was another sales guy and they said, okay, you can lead that person. And it turned into a little business unit and I was the VP. And I had no idea what I was doing. But as I was hiring people, think, sometimes it would work and then so, a lot of times it wouldn't. And we get somebody on board and because I'm a galvanizer, I would sell people internally oh, it's on dangerous. why we got to hire this person. <laughs> and I thought I could sell them on why they would be great for the job. Yep. I'm the consummate and I'm the uh, invention, right? I'm high on invention. And so I have these ideas and then I find the person and I would have this tendency to look past all the reasons I shouldn't hire them. Yep. And so the story continues. Entree Leadership's growing. And Sarah Solian, you know Sarah. Yeah. She becomes the VP of Entree Leadership, and I move on to the board, and I'm like, okay, this is your baby. Run with this thing. And she's like, can I fire all the people that you hired that we shouldn't have hired? I'm like, what are you talking about? And we laugh about it now, but what we realized is Sarah has tons of discernment. Uh, right. She's a discerner. And I, through a lot of pain of, you know, self-inflicted pain of making bad decisions and hiring the wrong people and also her having the pain and finally saying, Tardy, I've had enough. You've done all these things and I have to clean up all the messes. And I could have told you that if you'd, you listened to me the first time, this was a bad idea. And I started to trust like, okay, Sarah, if you say it feels funny to you, I don't even understand it, but I've learned that I've got to listen to exactly. that. Because, because and, and a discerner wants people around them to do that because they want people to go, we trust your gut because it's not an, a linear data-driven process. They have just good intuition. It's good judgment. Yeah, judgment mm-hmm. is even better. And um, and so when you know you have somebody like that and you're using them, they're coming to work going, it is so great that people come to me and ask me for my opinion about this. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they have to argue to get people to listen, it's like, oh, this is crazy. So I love the fact that you – that it's that – she she linked your I and your G providing D. Yes. That's why it works. Well, we partner so well. Once we figured this stuff out, and man, this assessment. Where was this eight years ago, Pat? Yeah. Gosh, man. Somewhere in held the out back on of my brain when I was frustrated in my job. So we, we kind of figured it out through hard knocks. But once we did figure that out, we started getting a lot more clarity about our roles where I would function more like the CEO and that she was more like the COO. And so she really became the chief of staff. Yeah. The, the hiring and are they the right people in the right seat and who needs to stay, who needs to go. I'm terrible at that stuff. Right. 
And I also don't want to be interviewing. I want to be on a whiteboard coloring pictures of the next thing. You and know? she would probably say, I don't – and I don't know how, the, how the, it works, but she might very well say, but once I discern that, I want you to galvanize people. Mm, she does. This is – I didn't even realize we do this. But there's a lot of times she'll get an idea up to 90% on something that um, – a move that needs to happen internally. And she'll say, well, you come with me to the HR committee Use your rapport, your clout, your salesmanship, your Galvanizing. whatever, because you Galvin, you know why we need to do this, right? I'm like, yeah, I totally got your back. Okay, will you help me make the sale? I'm like, oh, that's exactly. easy. Of course, I'll, I'll just show up in five minutes and everybody's going to see what I see and it's going to be fine. <laughs> but for her, that feels like stress and I might have to build a big presentation. And what if there's objections? I'm going, bring on the objections. I'll give them their objections and I'll tell them why they shouldn't be objections. Exactly. You know, it's, just, it's fun for me. You are naturally drawn to that moment. That's right. And knowing that means... Like, and, and people take this, they can go and say, hey, boss, can you use me more to do this? Because we need this, and I'm really good at this. Hmm. This is a great way to reorganize your department or your company. We did, we reorganized my company after 23 years. Wow. Four months ago when we came up with this, we were like, oh, my gosh, I don't do any as much gene anymore because I'm not a galvanizer. My staff says, let's let Pat invent. They were actually taking me out of inventing so that I could galvanize. Mm. They were de- decreasing my my natural talent, which we needed at our small company, we're a think tank, so that I could galvanize. And they were like killing the goose. Um, and they said, we want to put you back in a place where you can invent more. Let's let Cody and Liam and Chris galvanize more. And it's been a win-win all the way across. Or as they said on the office, a win-win-win. Three wins, triple win. <laughs> Talk a bit about the tension that, especially small businesses, as they're growing, you don't necessarily have the luxury of getting everyone on the team to be exactly in their sweet spot. As you get bigger, hopefully the the ideal is people are shifting more and more in their job descriptions to something that aligns with who they are and their genius and then what they do every day. But as a company gets bigger, you have more room and more payroll that's dedicated to specialists. That's right. But in a really small, scrappy company, a lot of people have to wear a lot of hats. How do we hold that tension and let people be in their genius, but also go, hey, we can't afford for your full-time job to be in your genius right now? I love it. This is not an excuse for people not to have to do things outside of their genius. Now, again, there's three categories. There's working genius, working competency, and then working frustration. So you can, a team does this, and they all look at these things, and they go, okay, we're relying on her who has no tenacity and not, in, not a criticism, a self-described. She, we're, we're giving her all the final implementation stuff, and we're getting frustrated with her. She's feeling frustrated. We can now understand why that is. Let's move somebody else into that role. But that doesn't mean she still doesn't have to like work on that as a – anybody can do stuff against the grain if they know they're doing it temporarily and everybody understands they're working against the grain. Or when she has to do that, let's celebrate her for doing something that's hard for her, but she's taking one for the team. Mm-hmm. But if we don't know that, we're going to be like, why aren't you just doing that better? And so it's, it's not that a matter of everybody has to just work in their two areas of genius. Let's know when a person's actually stepping outside of their area of genius or even into their area of frustration. And let's thank them, celebrate them, and let them know that this is not most of what we need them to do. I, I think it's fine to say, you know, I know this is not your natural gift, but when we ask you to do it, you have to do it well. Anybody can do it well for a while. So, so this is just making it a little bit – but what we don't want to do – is deprive people of working in their genius when we need that and they're not using it, or we don't want to 
force people to make most of their job about their area of frustration. I mean, hell, it would be better to say to them, hey, we really need somebody with these two things. You don't have those. We know you've been frustrated. Now we know you're not a bad person. You're just not good at these. Let's help you find another job at another company because you should go use your genius and we don't need it here. I mean, that's actually a Mm. better breakup than saying you failed in your job, but to say, oh no, you realize why you're failing? Because we've actually hired you to do this but you'd be better at this. We just don't need that here. So let's go find some companies that need that. Gotcha. You've become yeah. their their avenue for finding better satisfaction in kind work. Their, their launch pad. Otherwise, what uh-huh. we do is we go, well, you've not done a good job. You failed at this job. We, we just don't want you here. Now they walk away feeling like there's something wrong with them as opposed to you deserve to use the God-given talents that you have. I mean, that's a much better conversation. I know this assessment is newer, but I understand that the thinking that's gone into this is decades old. Yeah, I mean, I've been struggling with this for 20 years. You've felt this tension. So reach back in the archive and tell me a story about when this is going really well and, and what happens with a company when a leader is really intentional to get this this orchestra singing off the same sheet of music. Everybody's got a different instrument, but we're all playing Beethoven together and it sounds beautiful. Well, I can tell you in my – because the, the we've had a number of clients already use this, but it's been four months. So we, I've been kind of in the cave developing it um, and uh, so with, with my team. And – but what I can tell you this is in the last six months, one of our people in our office, Cody, who we hired to come in and do a bunch of stuff, when we realized he had discernment and galvanizing, we elevated him to a position of leadership – and everyone in the company, even people who had been there three times longer than he had, were like, oh, finally, this is great. You're going to lead us. We want you to. He was like, really? Me? Hmm. And we're like, yeah, you have gifts in this area. We need somebody to galvanize us and to use your judgment. And his satisfaction. So here's another way. We hired two kids from college. Okay. One was my son, Matthew. And one was this other guy, a friend of his, Liam. When, we, when they came in, we were like, what are we going to assign them to? What projects? Most of the time, it's kind of a crapshoot. Like, well, they need somebody. Send Matthew over there. Hmm. Well, we actually did this test because we just come up with it and realized my son Matthew has discernment and enablement. We said, discernment. He's really good at evaluating. He's going to help us to construct this report. He has been amazing, way beyond what I expected even of my son. And he hasn't been working for me. He's been working for Cody and Tracy. And because of that, Liam, we put on this other thing where he had G and T, both of them have gone, have, have done more in the first three months than we thought they'd do in two years. Had we swapped them, it would have been misery for Blown them. Up. Mm. Both of them would have been in jobs they weren't suited for. We wouldn't have run as fast, and two major initiatives wouldn't have happened in our company. We go to work every day, and everybody in my office is like, I'm doing what I was meant to do. We'd worked together for 23 years. We just really didn't understand it. Huh. You mentioned your son, Matthew. He's working with you now. Did you see that stuff in him? early? Like did, when did you start noticing as, as your child who is developing, oh, these are probably his Well, without geniuses. these, without this language, I mean, it made sense, but I'm seeing things in my son who lived with me for 18 years. Um, I'm seeing things I never understood because now I understand his genius. Hmm. Like I didn't understand that he had the genius of enablement because I don't have that at all. He is a, a really helpful person and his leadership in every organization he's been in is because he comes along and serves others in exactly what they need. I never got that. 
because you don't see that as a, as a son in your family. And I've done this with my 14-year-old hmm. and my 18-year-old, and I, I'm getting glimpses into them. So what did that look like in retrospect, now that you know, what can you look back when he was 10 or 12 and see that same genius in action? Oh, my gosh. So Matt has always been super smart. If my wife and I were in an argument, he could come in and go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Mom, you're wrong about this. Dad, you're right about this. You guys shouldn't be arguing about this. And we'd be like, how do you know that? And it was right. He has discernment. Wow. He sees patterns. My other son, Connor, his identical twin brother does not have all the same skills. And so he wouldn't see the same things or be drawn to those things. Hmm. So now Matthew is helping us develop this report. And he goes, that question right there, people are going to interpret it wrong. Hmm. And we're like, dude, you're 22. We've been working at this for years. And and he's like, yeah, I just this. And we're like, we're well, how do you know? And, it, and it's like, he has good gut. And so I didn't see those things. It's a weird thing to see your kids in a, in a new light and realize I was with them all the time, but I wasn't looking through this lens. It's a bit of a tangent, but I'm curious how our current education system oh. is not really helping people develop into their geniuses well, and, let me and tell how you. we can do something about that. Because so, our current education, and you said you didn't like school, says this, do what you're told on our terms. I'm the teacher. This is the assignment and finish it and do it perfectly. Now, that's great if you're enablement and tenacity. And you'll talk to people who said, I loved school. I did well. I found it pretty straightforward and easy because they were task oriented and they took instructions and they did that. That's my wife. She loved it. 4.0, same cum laude. And she was incredible at the art of right. going through school. Exactly. Because the, the, but but if you said, okay, we're going to change the educational paradigm, we're going to give you a case study, and then you're going to have to come up with it. And there's no right answer. It's going to be like – and you know we, those classes in school, like in college or in when, when they actually said, go invent something. Mm -hmm. I, I never went to school. I, I, in my school, we never had the inventor's fair or the science fair. So my kids actually get to invent new products. I would have been like, this is awesome. Some kids shine during that. And some of the ones that are good at classic school are like, I don't know. I can't come up with a new invention. Mm. And think about your own kids as they go through these things. Some of them are drawn to this kind of activity and some are drawn to those others. So grades are great for people with enablement and tenacity. I have a son who's really good at wonder and enablement, which is my wife. And he's a wonderful team player and a deep thinker, but he is just not motivated by – going above and beyond on all his assignments. So it's my job to say, hey, Michael, you're going to get bad grades. Just live with that. No, I have to say, Michael, your education system requires this of you. I'm not going to hold him accountable for being perfect. I'm going to teach him to have a strong work ethic, but I'm going to tell him someday you are going to love your job mm -hmm. and you're going to love what you study because you're actually curious about it and because it allows you to serve others through that. It's interesting that you say that people with Enablement and tenacity need a scorecard. They, they're going to get good grades. And I've noticed people on my team going, hey, can you tell me if I'm doing a good job? I'm like, we're telling you all the time. Of course, you're a rock star. How do you not feel like you're doing a good job? And they're like, yeah, but can you give me like a, like a report or a regular check-in? Like they really want that clarity. And I'm so like, I, I know I'm doing a good job and I know what it looks like and feels like. I'm always out front just going. And I don't need a lot of um, written feedback or an annual review. I, I don't know yeah. that I've ever had one and or right. nor cared, you know, because it's just kind of like, I guess if you want to write it down. But there's some people that really crave the concreteness of 
the report card, if you will. And you want to honor them because that's what feeds them. When they see like my teacher approved of me and he or she gave me this score, that gives them energy. For me, I love ambiguity. I want to see people smiling and saying anecdotally, that really helped me. And that's enough for me. Yes. I don't need to go give me all the data. I like the ambiguity because it really resonates with me. And it's not because I want loopholes to not be accountable to something. It's because when things start getting more concrete, my inventor feels like I can't run and be free You're being and limited. create. I'm being limited. And so it, it feels stifling to that invention kind of thing. You know something else? I don't trust the data. I don't either. I, I trust the look in somebody's eye when yes. they say, this really worked. And I found that when, like, I was a management consultant, and I would look at the data and go, I don't believe this. <laughs> and they would I go, well, the same thing. if you can't put it in data, I'm like, no, but intuitively, this is what, and they go, yeah, they don't pay us for our intuition. They pay us for our data. <laughs> this makes so much, I've always wondered why I'm so skeptical about data. Yeah. And when people come in and say data, 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 I'm like, yeah, you can make data say whatever you want to say. Let's go talk to some people. That's right. And, and granted, there are certain things that we should never do because they really do require data. It's like, okay, we're going to buy this house, and here's the mortgage, and here's how we're going to calculate it. I'm like, no, I just have a good feel about this. Right, and right. they're like, well, your good yeah. feel isn't going to make me happy when I'm losing money on this. So there's certain professions, certain jobs that require enablement and tenacity or tenacity and, and, uh, and discernment and other jobs that require invention. Yep. And, and, and when you here's the beauty of this. When you take this, whether you're a parent, whether you're right out of college, whether you're in a career or even toward the end of your career, it's going to give you such obvious insights that we find that application happens about 10, 15 minutes after you take this. You take 10 minutes to do this. You read it for like 20 because there's really interesting stuff and a uh, few videos uh, in here. And you go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my boss and I'm going to say, I could do this now. Or I'm going to go look for another job. Or I'm going to hire somebody to help me in my house because my wife and I are both bad at this. I love it. The application is so quick. It's very rich. You know, talking about the data versus intuition thing, it strikes me that there's probably even seasons of an organization. Yeah. I think with Ramsey, you know, I've been here 17 years. There was a time when shooting from the hip, being a cowboy, going with your gut, being that inventor, entrepreneur, ship ideas, try it, fail a lot, move fast. There's a time that really got this thing off the ground. And then we got to a certain size and a certain scale, and we had some really smart people join us. Jen Sievertson on our operating board, Herb Jenkins, Michael Finney. These are data people. Yeah. And it took them a while to get the rest of us cowboys to, <laughs> to listen to the data, but they started showing us at, at the scale that we were at why we needed to do some, some sample sizes and some tests. And yeah, don't some, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. But – but you need to actually add these new things in order to scale and grow. That's and that. what now, happened. Now, you're going to come up with a new idea, and you're going to launch it like Entree Leadership was. You're going to want people that are comfortable with wonder and invention and discernment. But then there's other parts of the business, like I don't know if it's Financial Peace University, where mm -hmm. we know what we're doing. We're scaling it. How do we get into more churches? That person with wonder and invention might very well frustrate the crap out of them because they're like, we have to execute here. Right. And, and and that's why you're right. Different stages of products, different stages of company, different kind of things we're working on require different geniuses. And the people that have the right ones are so glad when you ask them to do those things. Well, here's what we figured out. This is cool. So 
our buddy Jim Collins, we yep. know Jim, he in the book Good to Great talked about the concept of the musket balls versus the cannonballs. Yep. And the idea is a musket ball is a small amount of black powder that you shoot to calibrate where the cannonball is going to go so you don't use up your sacred resource of right. black powder. And it strikes me that if you're doing this well, you get your wonder inventor people saying, these are the musket balls we should be shooting. But then your data discernment people can go, before we spend all the money on the cannonball, <laughs> let's do some testing and validation in the marketplace, and then we can go whole hog. Right. And then that validation needs to involve intuition. Because otherwise, it'll be just data for the sake. It needs to have somebody going, what's the right thing to measure? What's the right? It's not say you can't use data, but you need that discerner to go, let's measure the right things. Yes. And I know what those things are. And then once we've figured out we've done that, let's galvanize people. And then the implementers can come along. By the way, the, the three stages are um, wonder and invention. That's ideation. Okay. Discerner and galvanizing, that's activation. And then enablement and tenacity is implementation. Gotcha. And you need mm -hmm. all of that. Well, and the discernment part, the, the market validation piece, you know, we have people now on our team, they're full-time product managers, and their job is to get data, but then also spend hours and hours and hours talking to customers yes. and putting little prototypes in front of customers about a, a page that we're going to stand up and say, tell me how you feel about that page or tell me what you would click on if you saw that page. And so it's not just quantitative with data, but they're listening to our customers are confused and they like they boil that all into their gut and intuition. They come back and they inform the teams before we go invest in a bunch of code to build the thing that we're going to have to throw away if we didn't have that that feedback loop. And the data alone doesn't do it. It's got to be the interpretation. Even this report, people take this, it's quantitative, right? Mm -hmm. But right after they get their quantitative, we say, now read the qualitative descriptions of each of these types. And if you think you need to adjust any of these, adjust it now and you will know because we there's a qualitative element. Life is qualitative, not quantitative. Quantitative is to inform the qualitative. At the at the end of reading this, we want people to decide, yeah, that, yes. Now, as it turns out, people usually look at this and go, that got me. But we, we say, well, before you commit to that, read a little bit of the qualitative stuff because we don't want you to get it wrong. Well, folks, I want you to go get this report, take it. It takes you five minutes to take it and 15 minutes to digest and absorb the results. It's fantastic. $25 normally, and for our audience, you're doing half of that. So yeah, $12.50. $12.50. $12.50. And, and we, we did that on purpose. We, can we, we negotiate you down to 12 bucks, Pat? I mean, that feels like a... Uh, let me see. What can you do for me? 50 cents. What can you get for 50 cents? <laughs> <laughs> I want people to take this. It's it's an incredible resource. I'm excited to roll it out with our team and for us to start you know, using this in, in all of our entree leadership companies. Really, really fun. As we wrap up, um, let's take off the I'm really good at working genius and, and helping people with their personality styles. Let's just, let's just Pat Lanchoni, the business owner, yeah. talking to your peers out there who are business owners. What do you want them to know right now about moving forward in business in this country. It's been a tough year for a lot of people. And and you guys have adapted and pivoted. We've been talking through some of those things and, and what's going on. What do you want people to really know about as, as leaders out there right now who are fighting the battle? So we learned a lot. First of all, we've been in business 23 years and we learned more in the last six months than we probably learned in the last six years because things got crazy and we were like, okay, we're either gonna get better out of this or worse. We, we think it's gonna separate hard. So we launched our two new biggest things during this time, but we had to be very intentional and scrappy about that. And so I think that what happens to you isn't as important as what your reaction to it is. 
And during this time, there's been opportunities. More people are at home. More, pe- more people are captive. More people are doing things virtually. Our company isn't. After the first two months of this, we came back to work and we've been working there. But there's a lot of people sitting in their homes that work for big companies that said you're going to work for home, from home for the next year. So we said, how do we adjust what we do to meet them there? So as a result of that, we feel like this has been the richest period of our, of our company. And so being scrappy and, and opportunistic, that I don't mean that in a bad way because, you know, COVID and all that stuff is, is not good. But you have to say, am I going to get out of this stronger or am I going to come out of this weaker? Also, during this time, we've tried to build even stronger relationships with one another because we feel like people are, are more human and more in need. So let's pour into each other more. And, and as a result of that, we've been able to get more done as well. Also, I think that what I would say to listeners is – you know, I, I appreciate a society that's built on freedom, democracy, and capitalism more because it, it makes for opportunities. Mm. And we have to realize that's not a guarantee that if, if we lose that, if we lose that, we're going to regret that for, for the rest of our lives because you don't recover from that easily. So I would just say for, as a business owner, I want to make sure that we do not – this socialism is a terrible, awful horrific thing, human cost, Mm. dreams, lives, everything else. So I just would say to people is really protect that and value that and know that this does not happen in every other country. Well, that socialism suffocates entrepreneurship. Absolutely. It's impossible to be an entrepreneur in a socialist And nobody cares about what your working genius in a socialist country. They're like, you're going to do what we tell you to do and you're going to do it the way we want you to. And if you have a dream or this bothers you, tough. I mean, working... um, Morale in socialist countries is terrible. Mm. And people go, I, there's not, I don't have a choice. I do what the government set up for me or here's the three paths I can take. And we've, I think, taken that for granted in our country. And it feels like we're on the verge, and hopefully not, of, of maybe uh, of losing that. And we had to fight for it. We got to fight for it for our children and their children. So that's, that's what I would say as a business owner is let's not let that slip away. We agree. Well, guys, sometimes we have somebody on the podcast and they're a new friend. They've got a book. We like it, and so we bring him on the podcast. Pat's the kind of guy that has been our friend for over a decade. Yeah, He's helped us early on with Entree Leadership. Uh, We've spent time in his office. Uh, The team there, you know, Karen and Amy, I mean, we've we've got such deep relationships with you guys. I've read every one of your books. Our team is reading your books. Dave Ramsey's reading your books. We have all of your Hungry Humble Smart is a part of our hiring process. I mean, your stuff is so integrated into Ramsey culture, entree leadership culture. And so when I tell people listening, please go buy this stuff. This isn't, well, here's the next guest and you know, here's the thing. His stuff works, guys, and he's so passionate about helping teams be better and helping them actually enjoy their work and be more fulfilled, not just to be more enjoyable, but to actually add more value to the community. And we that's what we talk about at entree leadership all the time. We exist to serve. We exist to advance things for the better in the marketplace for the right. lives of the, the customers that we support. Well, so. we, we it's just so fun to come here. And uh, it's really overwhelming and uh, humbling to us how how you guys use this and that, it, that we've been able to serve you. And so we're just thankful for that. And I'd come here every week if I lived down the street. Well, we love you. And we're excited to have you on our stage at the Entree Leadership Summit event coming up in May. That's going to be big fun. Until then, guys, go get this assessment. It's really cool stuff. And while you're on his website checking that out, get all of his books for your team and go through it. We highly recommend everything that Pat Lanchoni does and the whole team at the Table Group. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'll pass along your hellos to everybody back home. Well, if you've been leading a team for a while, You've figured out 
that there's this really magical thing that happens when as a leader, you spend most of your time doing the things that you're good at and that you're passionate about. And then you get everyone else on the team and their sweet spot doing things that most of the time they're good at and passionate about. And you know what that creates? It creates energy. It creates passion, enthusiasm. It also leads to more tenacity and staying power because people are much less likely to get burned out. Now, we all got to do hard crap. I mean, that's leadership. That's life. It's called being an adult. So there's not this utopian thing where you get to always do what you love all the time. But if you get this assessment and you start figuring out what's the genius of each person on my team, you can shift some things around and pay attention to creating a much more sustainable team where people enjoy a lot of what they're doing as the majority of what they're working on. It's a real thing. I see it here all the time at Ramsey Solutions. We get somebody that's frustrated in a certain seat and you go, oh, they just suck at their job. You know what? They don't suck at their job. I'm willing to bet you if you got somebody in your team and you're like, they're just an idiot, they're probably not an idiot. You go, how do you know that? You don't know them. You're right. I don't know them. But in my experience, I thought a lot of people were idiots and we moved them to another seat and all of a sudden they blossom. Whoa, what happened? We moved them from a place of no genius and dread to a place of genius and they came alive. So before you write people off, get to know who they really are. Get to know what their genius is. Figure out their sweet spot. And if you can help it and you want to make it work, look around your company and see if you can find out a way to do just that. And when I think about what Pat's taught us today, and I think about those experiences of what happened when we moved somebody into a different seat or even just changed part of their job description and they started to thrive, what happened was we brought them back into their genius. We brought them back into their sweet spot. But if a lot of the things that people are doing are draining all the time, it leads to burnout. We don't want that. We put way too much work into hiring the right people and building the culture to have them go out the back door when we could have kept them, could have kept them more energized, gotten everybody a little bit more enthusiastic about going forward if they had a few more things that were in their genius. So this is a big deal. And I want you guys to check it out, check out his assessment. You definitely want to take advantage of that. And you can even use this in your hiring process. Hiring is such a big deal. You guys know this. We talk about it all the time at Entree Leadership, but the filter on your culture starts with the first interview with every candidate. We're so obsessed with making really, really good hires and so obsessed with guarding our culture that we put a lot of work into how we hire. And we put a lot of teaching into Entree Leadership and our coaching team has put together a great resource for you guys specifically on hiring and how to do it well. This guide that we're talking about, the Entree Leader's Guide to Hiring, is gonna give you the 12 steps to a great hire. It's the same tips we use here at Ramsey Solutions. We've been teaching about out of Entree Leadership for years. So you wanna check this out, especially if you're in the hiring process right now. Check it out, start improving your hiring today. To get this free guide, just click on the link in the show notes. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entree Leadership Podcast. Hey, do you know somebody that would enjoy this episode? Send them a link. Hey, and thanks for doing that. You know, we love helping more business owners win and the way this thing grows and the word gets out is when you share it with your friends, your family and other business owners. So thanks for doing that. Also, you can follow us on social media at Entree Leadership. You can follow me on Instagram at Daniel Tardy. And for a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card, you can review this episode by clicking the link in the show notes. This episode was produced by Tim Hull. It was edited and mixed by Will Rudder. I'm your host, Daniel Tardy. And on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep learning 
and keep leading.